Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Welcome to the podcast. My guest is Erica Tetuan, Change Management and Organization Design Practice Lead at GP Strategies, and she's here to talk about change management. Erica, welcome back to the podcast. You've been on several times at this point. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. It's always so great to be with you. Yeah, well, you're our, you're one of our regular guests, so it's always great to have you back. Now, so our listeners can, so we can all start on the same page here. Describe what change management is exactly. Yeah, great question and great starting point. So at its core, really, change management is the art and science of adoption. So it answers the question, how do we get ourselves and others to change our mindsets and beliefs so that we can attain different results? Now, we most often hear about change management in the context of an organization or organizational life. And in that context, change management is a structured process of assessments and interventions to manage the resistance that is always at play when an organization is trying to do something new. So organizations apply change management so they can be successful at the people side of change. And organizations that deploy, that deploy structured change management, they really understand that installing a new solution will only get you so far. If people don't engage or use that new solution, then you really haven't changed at all. But change management is also an individual discipline too. So it's how an individual leads themselves through change. It's how I apply self-leadership to change my thoughts and my beliefs and my behaviors so that I can get new results for myself as well. Okay, that's really interesting. And I mean, one, I think, basic concept here is that change is something that is often disruptive, and therefore it's something that, that needs to be managed or you ought to manage it because if you don't, things can get out of control. Absolutely. And if you don't manage it, what happens or what I've seen in my experience, Jeremy, is that resistance wins the day. Mm, yeah. And so then, again, we don't change at all and we revert back to our old behaviors. Yeah. And, and I assume this could th- this could apply to any kind of change, something like a company is rolling out a new internal communication technology, like a new app and People need to use it, but some people are used to the old one and there's some resistance. So you have to, you need to manage the rollout, manage the how you, you train people, all that stuff. Absolutely. How you communicate it, how you get people on board, how you drive participation, how you tr- how you drive proficiency, all of that. Yes. Yeah. And I think anyone who's worked for you know any kind of organization, a large organization, I know I can say this, that I've seen examples where it's not managed. And something's rolled out and everyone just ignores it, you know, or like, and clearly the company spent like millions of dollars on this new thing and no one uses it. And you know what happens when that happens? You know, when an organization has a change failure, it's definitely not a good thing. But when there's a series of change failures, what happens is when an organization tries to roll out something not, you know, next, the next change, it's even harder to get adopted because the organization now has a reputation for failed change. And that is a thing, you know, your reputation around change 
matters so much. And there are lots of organizations, Jeremy, where when we're trying to roll out something new, the kind of tenor in the mode of the employee population is don't worry, this too shall fail. <laughs> so I don't have to pay any attention to it because the organization hasn't been successful. That is so true. I mean, I, I have personally experienced that, right? The next big thing comes around and then you're like, uh, yeah, right. I'm not going to bother taking my time to learn this because it's not going to work, you know, or the, the, they're not serious about it. That is so true. So, so, and so therefore the need for change management. So how is the practice or the idea of change management, how is that evolving? How has it been changing? Well, you know, Jeremy, you would think that it is, but in my experience, it isn't. I don't see the discipline of change management evolving. And it's interesting, right? This practice of change management doesn't seem to be evolving as quickly as changes in our environment and ecosystem are happening. And that's a problem. The practice and discipline of change management itself really needs to change. You know, many of the change models and methods and approaches and thinking have been around for decades. Mm. And while they're very decent at helping us through planned and known changes, they are not sufficient at helping us through unplanned change. And they are certainly not um, sufficient to help us through the velocity of changes that we as a global population are seeing and experiencing today. This is a major problem for organizations because without the ability to thrive through large volumes of change and especially the unplanned, unpredictable change, an organization simply cannot thrive. Okay, so unplanned, unpredictable change, like say maybe what the entire world is experiencing right now with COVID-19? Right. <laughs> no, one per no one could predict the series of events to follow um, when we started hearing about the pandemic in January. Yeah. Largely... Um, unarmed on and how to face this and the current thinking around change management, I don't think is robust or agile enough to help us through times like that. All right. So what needs to happen to evolve their strategies to be more agile going forward? Yeah. So the first thing I recommend is for organizational leaders to change their mindset around change. Right? Change starts in the brain. It, char it starts with the way we think about things. So what I see now is that we focus on getting a single change adopted at a time. We have this singular tactical focus of this change, this project, this program, this initiative. That will not help an organization from an environmental perspective. My suggestion is that organizational leaders focus on creating a culture of change, meaning that the culture itself is both agile and growth focused. So if employees in the organization have a growth mindset and an agile mindset, and they know how to lead themselves through change, then you can have a thriving organizational environment. So focus on having a culture of change and equipping individuals with a way to lead themselves through change versus having this singular tactical focus on driving one change at a time. Mm -hmm. The second thing I think is really important is to change the methodology of change, right? The traditional models that are at play today state that we need to plan a change, manage a change, and sustain a change. 
gosh, can you imagine applying that process to flexing our muscle around what are we going to do in an organizational context around a global pandemic? I mean, plan, manage, and sustain just feels like so much work and it's not agile and nimble enough to help us. So that way of thinking is just too tactical again and focused on a singular thing. So organizations today, I think, need to be more holistically focused and far more strategic. So instead of this traditional plan, manage, sustain, I think organizations need to think preventatively, proactively, and responsibly. So those are the three mindsets I would have in mind today as an organizational leader. Okay, interesting. So let's dig into that a little bit more, especially the difference between being preventive and being proactive. Those are related, but not exactly the same thing. Yeah, you're right. Um, And often confused. So one of the best things I tell people to keep in mind is think, think about the difference between preventative medicine, doing things so that something doesn't occur, and proactive medicine, where um, I'm addressing something um, at, at, at the time of need. So let me step back a little bit and talk to us and remind us as to why we have change management. We talked about this when we kicked off our, uh, our time today. So the discipline yeah. of change management is necessary because there's resistance, right? And resistance happens all the time, even when we want to change we'll have moments of frustration or resistance. And that preventative phase is all about trying to prevent resistance from the start. We do this by predicting or even knowing by fact risks to success. And we work to ensure undesirable or unintended consequences do not occur or or are at least minimized. So this is about having as much of a crystal ball about why something might fail up front. And you might be thinking, oh my gosh, crystal ball, nobody has one of those. But the truth is, it's actually much easier than we think. All it takes is simply taking some time to think through why something might fail. And we can do this by the commonly known process of a pre-mortem. So predicting points of failure from the start is a critical component of preventative thinking. I always say you need to be predictive to be preventative. Mm-hmm. So what an organization knows um, about its people and its customers, when, it's, when it really is grounded in who its employees are and who its customers are and what matters to them, it should not be hard to predict what they will like or not like about that solution. And even some basic human behavioral knowledge can help you predict threats. So don't be afraid to socialize plans and get feedback from people who will be impacted by the new solution. And I tell you, this is truly a skill. As you practice being preventative, you'll get better at it and you'll hone your skills in the area of prediction and early remediation. Now, let's contrast this with being proactive. And proactive is really the next Mm -hmm. step, right? It's best to start with preventative if you can. You can't always, but it's best to start there. And when you can be, the next thing you want to do is be proactive. Being proactive is about setting up your environment for success. It's about having plans that ensure the reasons for change are clear. The risk of changing is clear that everybody knows their role in the change, both how their role is changing and what their accountability to their organization is to make the change successful. 
that they have a clear path to change and ensuring everyone has the knowledge, skills, and abilities to change and that there are no obstacles in their way. And lastly, we need to make sure everyone has a partner or partners in the change. The more social we make a change, the more likely we are to realize the change at the pace it needs to be realized. So to summarize, we need that reason for change, we need our role in the change, we need a clear path for change, and we need partners to be successful in the change. Those are things that we do to be proactive in the change. So we're planning for all of those elements that an individual needs. And then the last phase is to be responsive because we can't prevent everything. And because we can't plan for every scenario, resistance is going to creep in. And when it does, my suggestion is to lean into it, learn from it, and be willing to change versus drawing that hard line of sustain. When organizations get into sustain mode, versus responsive mode, what you're communicating is that what is valued is the thing we're doing versus doing the right thing. Mm. So it's really important to lean into and learn from the resistance. And then going forward, use this experience of resistance to help you be even more preventative the next time. That's all data that just feeds the preventative, proactive, and responsive loop. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. So when you say lean into the resistance, what does that actually mean? Like, what, what's an example of that? What, what, what does it look like? Yeah, so this is, let's go back to that communications technology that you had sure, brought up sure. earlier. So organization decides it needs to roll out this communications technology. It goes through vendor selection. It selects the right tool. And we're going live. But we see that there's some resistance around functionality. And perhaps that functionality clashes with a really important internal process. So what happens when organizations are in reinforce and sustain mode, what we're basically saying is resistors stand down. This is the way it's going to be. We are reinforcing and we are sustaining this functionality despite the fact that it clashes with your process. Whereas a responsive mode would go, hey, we've got resistors, let's discover. Let's find out what objections they have and where they're coming from. Let's find out what obstacles they have in their way. You know, that responsive mode assumes people wanna get on board and people wanna do the right thing by their organization, but there legitimately might be a solution design flaw. And when we lean into the resistance, we leave ourselves open to changing the solution design versus forcing the people to adopt something that doesn't work for the environment. So it's a whole different stance. Yeah. Okay. I mean, especially in any organization that uh, of decent size, with any change, you're probably not going to be able to please everyone all the time, no matter how well you plan, no matter how well you respond, there are always going to be people who resist, right? no matter how much you lean into it. So is there a case to be made for at some point saying, okay, we are committed to this change and it is happening and we know some people are just not going to like it and that's just how it is. Yeah, and that's an important part of being a strategic change leader. So great leaders of change have great skills around knowing how to manage resistance 
And a really easy way to think of, or to have that resistance management conversation is to talk with somebody and explore what their objections are. And as a leader, see if you're able to clear those objections or work through them, but be open-minded to them. It's really important to hear and, and validate why the employee feels the way that they do and help them work through it. And the next thing we wanna do is clear the obstacles um, and see, you know, are there personal, are there organizational, are there career aspiration obstacles? Are there, are there real social emotional threats with what we're trying to do? Man, say this new communications technology, I'm feeling like it replaces my job. And that's why I'm resisting it. That, that's a real social and emotional threat. Mm. So it's really important to clear those obstacles. And if an employee is still choosing to not get on board, then it's important to present that employee with options. What are the options they have if they choose to not get on board and be really clear and upfront about what the consequences of those options are. But it's really important to allow an individual to make that choice. Present them with the options and let them choose what option they want to get on board with. So what's at stake here, bottom line? What are companies risking if they don't do change management or if they don't do it well? Yeah, so I think organizations truly risk their future solvency as a business. So I think that in, in today's world, organizations need to have have growth mindset and agility at their at their core. So I would really like to see organizations invest in their employees. I want to see them enabling employees to gain the ability to lead themselves through change. If an organization has a population of resilient self-leading employees, they can go far. They can tackle the changes they need to make to thrive in their industry. The second thing they need to do is create that culture of change. So inoculate the environment, have a culture that is growth and agile oriented. This is, it, it's crucial to have that combination of the culture of change and individuals who know how to lead themselves and, and are themselves growth and agile oriented individuals. That is a very, very powerful combination for success. If you don't have that, you will have a lot in your way of making the changes you need to make as an organization to be successful. So I think also we're in this time, Jeremy, where the velocity of change is so great. Think about the number of organizational changes that have been made across globe, the global organizations just in the past three to six months huge velocity of change. Some industries completely turn on their head and the way they operate and engage with customers. So it's really important that organizations move away from this focus of how one person moves through one single change and they need to more strategically focus on how is the organization, how is the environment responding to ongoing change. So it's important to be focused on helping your organization mature into one that not only thrives through change, but drives change, right? Your organization needs to be the disruptor. 
And it's the industry disruptors mm. that thrive. And so if you have um, an organization that doesn't do change well, and you're not applying change management systemically, and you don't have people who can lead themselves through change, you're not going to be the disruptor. And you've got to be the disruptor in order to survive. Um, Tim Creasy Tim Creasy has been saying for the past couple of years, it is those who outchange their competition and those who can outchange their industry that are going to be the ones that thrive. And I think that is is true now and into the future. Yeah, and you know, it strikes me that even when the pandemic is over or some version of over and people are going back to work and fully back in the office, the the change won't stop. I mean, there, there's going to be repercussions for this probably years into the future. I agree. And you know what, Jeremy, I think as we start to see a migration back to the office, whenever that will occur, it's it's a great symbol to go back to the way things were, if you will. And I would really encourage organizations to take stock of what has changed for the better and work very hard at making those changes cherished components of your culture. Now, for example, we have a client who was on an 18th, an 18 month journey to make a significant business improvement. When the pandemic hit and things shut down, you'll be surprised to know, but this is true, that 18-month timeline was successfully accomplished in two days. Two days. Mm -hmm. So when we go back to the office, we don't want that symbolism of going back to the office and going back to the way things were to um, to take away from our ability to accomplish something in two days versus 18 months. So all, all these great change skills and adaptability skills that we are getting during this time, we've got to hold on to them. And one of the best ways to do that is to really think about what are the new habits and rituals I have that help me amplify the change and take on a greater velocity of change? And how do I work on keeping those habits and rituals a part of my everyday life going forward versus going backwards in my habits and rituals. Absolutely. Wise words for a strange time. Erica, thank you as always for a great discussion. It's always great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. So great to be with you. I look forward to the next time. Yes. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.